So, Rachel. Yeah? Picard tries to mediate a trade dispute between two neighboring planets, one of which is the sole supplier of a drug to treat the other's apparently fatal disease. Hmm, the key word there is apparently, I think. Yeah. So maybe a conspiracy theory proves true that the disease doesn't really kill and they don't really need the drug. Let's say one alien race is a shoulder pad type race mm -hmm. with a funny hairline and the other one is blue and attractive. <laughs> Star Trek! All hands, this is the captain. As you may know, the sun in the Dallas system is undergoing large-scale magnetic field changes, producing violent, gigantic flares. Now, we shall be studying this star at close range, even though we shall be running with full deflectors. The closeness of this event and its severity will create problems. Intense magnetic fields have a disruptive effect on electrical systems. Therefore, we can expect communication interruptions as well as potential temporary loss of other systems. As a precaution, we are now going to yellow alert. Stay sharp, everyone. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I am her husband, Chris Lackey. I am a Star Trek fan. Rachel was not a Star Trek fan, probably still isn't. But she's watching Star Trek with me, and we're talking about it here on this podcast, Rachel Watches Star Trek. Thank you, Android Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and the scene we just saw there, they're marveling away at that sun and the flares that are coming off it. Oh my God. What's so great about it? Isn't I... that what all suns do? Yeah. And the footage that they had was obviously from real solar flares, so it mm. looked really crappy. You would think <laughs> that they would have better solar flare sensors than we have, like, 16 millimeter film. Oh. Boy, this episode is written by Robert Lewin and Richard Manning and Hans Beamler. So it's Robert Lewin and Richard Manning ampersand Hans Beamler. So what that means is that Robert Lewis wrote it and then Richard Manning and Hans Beamler got together and then they did some stuff on it. Holding hands whilst they rewrote it. Exactly. Then this episode was also directed by Wynn Phelps. Ooh, that's a nice name. I've never heard the name. That's why that's set a high standard for that kid. Goodness. Gotta win. Well, I mean, he ended up directing episodes of Star Trek, so it's been a pretty good life. The episode begins... Not this one, though. <laughs> The episode begins with the Enterprise investigating solar flares in the Dallas system. I don't know what was so important about them looking at these solar flares, them talking about it. I even thought that this was the wrong episode because hmm. it goes on for so oh, long. Yeah. Eventually, they get a distress call from a freighter near the planet Ornara. The crew seems totally incompetent. Well, they're just kind of spaced out. Yeah, but they don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to fix their ship. Yeah, I interpreted it that they were ill and that was affecting their mental capacity because kind of got that they had known how to do these things, but now couldn't work it out or something? No, that's not the case at all. Hmm, Which we find out later, yeah, they just don't know how to do it. When the Enterprise is closer, they ask the captain what the problem is, but he doesn't know anything about how his ship works and doesn't seem to be all that bothered about their situation, which leads to lots of disapproving glances from <laughs> Picard and friends. Their freighter is going to burn up in the planet's atmosphere. Data is able to figure out that they have a damaged electromagnetic coil. Nice spying data. Yeah. Yeah, he just got right in on their computers. Picard offers to send them a new one, but the captain doesn't know how to fix it. 
They try to use the tractor beam, but the solar flares are causing problems with many of the ship's systems. This conversation happens with me understanding every 20th word because we've got so much distortion of the transmission coming oh, from the captain yeah. that you actually can't hear any of the dialogue. It goes on for so long. It's so tedious and annoying. And it really annoys me because there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens in this episode, but you got to wade through all this BS in the <laughs> beginning, which doesn't even need to be there. They could have started mm. it with, we're in the system. They're having solar flares. Ship is in trouble. Yeah. Boom. Well. Get it going. Pat it out. And it's unlike Picard and crew not to just send somebody over and fix it themselves. Yeah. The visual effects of the fluctuating force field around the Enterprise-D while near the star Delos was created using a bowling ball trickled with salt. Hmm? This was squeezed during the digital composition and turned upside down to give it the effect. Ooh. And that's from uh, Making of a Legend, Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 1, DVD special feature. I bet you like that, don't you? I do like that. Like those in-camera effects? I do. <laughs> the ship is burning up, so they decide to transport the people over. But due to the interference, they're having problems beaming. Yar is really on it this episode. Mm. She has to use the alien's transporter to boost their signal. But instead of beaming over people, they send their cargo. Mm. Riker and Yar, they just can't believe it. And they then have the cargo immediately beamed to a cargo bay, where cargo belongs. <laughs> Yar tries again, but is only able to rescue four of the six passengers before the ship explodes. Aww. So there are two Onarans and two Breckians, two of which are Wrath of Khan actors. Gosh. The two Onarans are male, Tijan and Romos. Tijan is played by Merritt Buttrick, who played David, Kirk's son. Mm. Sadly, he died of AIDS the following year. Aww. He was only 29 years old. Yeah. I was really sad to read that. Yeah, me too. One of the good things that's happened about the future they could only imagine in the 80s is that now you can take PrEP, which is a drug that prevents you from catching HIV, and people who've already got HIV can take antiretroviral therapy, which if taken effectively can reduce your viral load so that you can't transmit yeah. it and don't have any symptoms. Mm -hmm. However, as I was reading on everydayhealth.com, the average cost of HIV treatment is $14,000 to $20,000 a year. Oh, my God. Data suggests that only about half of low-income people living with HIV are receiving the HIV drugs they need because of cost. This sounds like the United States. This is the United States. Yeah. That's why I looked it up because I thought, oh, they'd be all right if they were here. We're so lucky to have our NHS. And, of course, it's holding on by its fingernails at the moment. But mm -hmm. at the moment, I can only assume that if you're living with HIV here, you can get your treatment for free. Mm -hmm. Certainly not the case in the United States and other countries no. where people are, as they are in this episode, perfectly happy to make a killing, quite literally, yeah. off the drugs that they have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and insurance companies are happy to get in on that game. Slightly more hopefully, in addition to federally funded coverage programs, many states, communities and pharmacies have HIV drug assistance programs that can help ease the financial burden. The Breckians have a woman and a man. It's Sobi and Langor. Langorus. I guess so, yeah. Mm. Sobi is played by Judson Scott, who played Joaquim. Is it Joaquim or Joaquim? Mm, I think we got it wrong when we did it, so I wouldn't like what to say. It? Maybe it was Joaquim and we were saying Joaquim or something. Khan's number two. Yeah. Langa is played by Kimberly Farr. She created the role of Eve in Arthur Miller's first and only musical, Up From Paradise. Did various theatre things. Mm -hmm. Not much else going on, really. Very unflattering 70s style outfit. Not good. Kind of trying to be sexy, but also very dowdy. Yeah. As well. Glittery. It's got little cutaways at the waist, cuts her body into several sections and makes her look shorter and 
dumpier and wider. Yeah, mm. she's an attractive woman, yeah, and sure. I think the outfit is extremely unflattering. And then well, if they put her in something different, she would have been just gorgeous. You never know. Maybe it was really flattering <laughs> <laughs> if you'd seen her in her jeans Could and t-shirt when she came in. Also, deserving of a mention from my point of view, mm-hmm. Joaquim that was mm-hmm. is wearing an amazing seventies disco outfit very john travolta but way more glittery yeah i don't know why they've gone for that they're aliens <laughs> that's what aliens wear slightly hard to take them seriously the breckians and onarans are arguing over who the cargo belongs to it seems that the onarans bought it from the breckians but the payment was lost when the ship exploded since the payment was lost the breckians say that the cargo is still theirs Huh. So I guess they hadn't completed the transaction. It wasn't in their hands when it exploded or something? Well, it was on the ship yeah. with them, but that's up for negotiation. I guess. Yeah. Obviously, that's for a court to decide on mm. who actually has the property. Well, if you didn't fully digest this information, don't worry. You're going to hear it at least twice more. <laughs> the fight gets physical, and Sobi and Tajan use some kind of electric superpowers to zap each other, mm. and Yar has to break up the fight with a stun blast. Saying, behave yourselves. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Uh, they're all taken to the observation lounge where we find out the cargo is medicine called Felicium. There is a plague on Onara and the medicine keeps the symptoms at bay. The Onarans are acting shivery, jittery and sweating. They look like they're in withdrawal. I thought I started thinking, is it like alcohol dependency where some people can die from sudden withdrawal? Yeah. So maybe people on their planet are dying without the drug, but well, because they're addicted to it. Yeah. But at this point, we don't know that that's the case. No, but that's yes. what I thought at this you were, point. Well, you were thinking, right. The Breckians are saying the medicine is very expensive and difficult to make. It costs their people a lot to produce. Dijon reveals that both he and Romas have the plague. Ah, quarantine procedures, people. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, of course, they haven't learned anything of it. But this time, they blame it on the dodgy transporters because of all the interference from the solar flares. Because otherwise, the transporters would have... Caught it all. Yeah. Cleaned it out. Biofilter. Sure, like it did all those other times. Uh Dr. Crusher, wearing no personal protective equipment, (laughs) says they're sick, but she can't seem to find signs of any infection. The Onarans beg Picard to let them have the Felicium, so Picard has a talk with the Breckians. They reluctantly agree to give two small doses to the men on board. In the cargo bay, Langor removes the lid of one of the canisters and it looks like a bunch of red lentils inside. It's definitely lentils. <laughs> they could have at least dyed them or something. <laughs> Picard also learns that the Breckian society has only one industry making this drug. Wow. The whole planet. Wow. I wonder if most of them are just leisurely and the others produce the drug or if they're all actually involved in the process. I- does it literally take that much person power to produce the drug that everyone would be employed through it? I yeah. Maybe it's one of those societies where most people can be artists as much. Sure. Down it. Be. They seem too jerky for that. But cool little bits of tech there. I like the tiny little thing that picks up a lentil mm-hmm. and puts it into the device to yeah. Does the device make it into something that you can inject in your skin? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's cool looking. Uh, We find out that they gave up on a cure and have been working on the potency of the Felicium to help the Ornarans. Dr. Crusher brings it to sickbay where to John administers it to them both. They get really, uh, like all their symptoms have been relieved. They look like they've taken a hit of heroin or something like Mm -hmm. that. Pleasure or at least relief flows instantly through their body. Crusher sees what's going on. She goes in and explains to Picard that the medicine is just a narcotic. There's no plague. The sickness is from withdrawal. Yeah, I called it. I finally called you something you totally before called it. it happened. Uh, Data and Riker give an info dump on the history of the two peoples. The Onarans were more technologically advanced than the Breckians. But when the plague hit, the Breckians had the cure. 
So Crusher says that the drug cured the plague, but then left them chemically dependent. Crusher says she can make a non-addictive substitute to get them off the dope. Oh, wow, Bev. But Picard says, no, we can't. Ooh. We can't interfere. With the Prime Directive! Cue song! I just want to be a history tourist I'm primitive tribes with guns and oust leaders That I think are bad But there's that voice From a distant memory What did they keep saying? Oh yeah! Oh most conflict that Picard and Bev have had. One of the most conflict-ridden times. They're both adamant in their positions, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I've got some thoughts, but I'm going to save this for for the end of the episode. They get a signal from the planet and take it in the Bernarin's quarters. Because? Picard doesn't want because he doesn't trust them. Give them bridge access. Yeah, for a change. They usually let anybody on the bridge. Willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. After they leave, Wesley has an after-school special message. <laughs> well, yeah, does anyway. Data. I can understand how this could happen to the Arnarans. What I can't understand is why anyone would voluntarily become dependent on a chemical. Voluntary addiction to drugs is a recurrent theme in many cultures. Wesley, no one wants to become dependent. That happens later. But it does happen. So why do people start? On my home planet, there was so much poverty and violence that for some, the only escape is through drugs. How can a chemical substance provide an escape? It doesn't, but it makes you think it does. You have to understand, drugs can make you feel good. They make you feel on top of the world. You're happy, sure of yourself, in control. But it's artificial. It doesn't feel artificial until the drug wears off. Then you pay the price. Before you know it, you're taking the drug not to feel good, but to keep from feeling bad. And that's the trap. All you care about is getting your next dosage. Nothing else matters. I guess I just don't understand. Wesley, I hope you never do. (laughs) (laughs) It's very gentle. And a lot of people were really pissed off about this. Mm. But I think it's actually a pretty frank discussion about drugs. What was wrong with what he said? Well, I'm just wondering, how was the just say no message packaged in general in the States? Did they talk about that it feels nice to be on drugs? No, I don't remember that. But as a kid, I just remember drugs are bad. Mm -hmm. Don't do drugs. And if you do drugs, you're weak. And you'd be left like Wesley wondering, why would people then? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that she goes into the details here. Yar is like, yeah, drugs are awesome. They make you feel really good. But then you become dependent on the good feeling from the drugs and not from other things in your life. And you become addicted to it. And also, she says, they no longer make you feel good, but they you need them to feel normal. Which, yeah, I mean, that's good information. It seems that they could have presented it in a way that seemed less preachy or a little bit more integrated. Yeah, it feels clunky, but I feel like from what they were talking about on the show, in the context of everything that was going on, it makes perfect sense. And that what was said was pretty insightful. And I think that if you're a teenager and you were a nerd like me and actually listen to this part of it instead of not paying attention, like I'm sure I didn't. Well, uh, yeah, that's what what I was wondering. But I didn't do drugs when I was a kid. 
Yeah. I didn't I didn't even drink until I was 21. So, so this so, got through. Uh, maybe it did. Yeah. How ubiquitous was the Just Say No stuff? Did Was it on loads of TV shows? Oh, yeah. Or? It was on TVs. There was commercials at school. You know, Nancy Reagan was out there. And you've got the egg. Use your brain on drugs. drugs. Any questions? <laughs> That's how the commercial went, yeah. Oh, wow. The campaign and the phrase Just Say No made their way into popular American culture when television series such as Different Strokes and Punky Brewster produced episodes centered on the campaign. Did you remember seeing either of those episodes? Different Strokes, yes. In 1983, Nancy Reagan appeared as herself in the television programs Dynasty and Different Strokes. I remember yeah, her in Different Strokes. <laughs> to garner support for the campaign. She participated in a 1985 rock music video, Stop the Madness, and Latoya Jackson became spokesperson for the campaign in 1987. So that's a year before this was broadcast. Latoya. And recorded a song titled Just Say No. I had a little listen and my favourite lyric is, don't let them guide you, don't put that stuff inside you. <laughs> We'll let it play us out at the end oh of today. Oh, my God. So, Latoya Jackson's the best they could do? Uh, Latoya? It's a pretty low-rent song, too. Oh, my God. So, back in the quarters, they get the message from the planet. People are really in bad shape, and the sickness is going to kill them. Or so they believe. To John grabs Riker, and he gives him a shock. Ah! He's now a hostage. <laughs> Riker's frozen in a silly posture for so long. What a sport. Jonathan is. <laughs> is he the only one who can do good frozen acting, do you think? Dude, it's so... I mean, that was only last episode. <laughs> that was so funny. Yo, he was frozen last episode yes. too, wasn't he? Yeah. But the... <laughs> But the face he's making, I couldn't, I could not keep a straight face. He must have done it to try and break other people. Oh my God. It's make them laugh. It totally pulls focus from yeah. whatever they're talking about. You're just looking at him doing his big eyeball Ooh. face. Picard says that he doesn't believe that Tajan is a killer and Tajan was obviously bluffing and he releases Riker. Mm. And I can't believe how affable Riker is after getting zapped <laughs> and used as a hostage. Listen to this. My insides are still shaking, but I'm all right. <laughs> what? Uh, what a champ. <laughs> <laughs> Langor comes in and says that she wants to talk to Picard alone. And he goes to their quarters and they say that they're going to give them the drugs and they'll worry about payment later. Don't you worry. We don't want to see people suffer. Total change of tune. And Picard, he knows what's up. Hmm. There goes the other shoe. They know. What do they know? They know that the Onarans no longer have the plague. They know that Felicium is no longer a medicine. So, of course, they are willing to give this shipment because they don't want to take the chance that the Anarans will lose their addiction. They don't want to lose their only customers. How would they have known all of that unless the plague had once infected their planet as well? They were infected. They used the Felicium to cure themselves, but somehow their ancestors realized that it was a narcotic. They broke the cycle of addiction and never told the Onarans. They let them continue to believe that without the Felicium, they would die. I think it's worse than that. My guess is that this refining process of which you are so proud... ...is only to increase the potency of the Felicium and tighten your grip. What are you going to do? Are you going to tell them? No. I'm bound by the rules of the United Federation of Planets, which order me not to interfere with other worlds, other cultures. If I were to tell them any of this, I would violate that prime directive. <laughs> it's a bit of a silly scene where the exposition comes from Picard and Bev telling them what the situation is. Yeah. Rather than them telling the people who actually know telling us what it is. Right. Uh, really, they're just guessing. I thought the scene worked because those guys aren't going to tell them anything because yeah. they're hucksters. 
And so Picard's saying all this stuff, reading their faces to see if he's right about it. <laughs> How would he know all this, though? He figured it out. Oh, come on, it wasn't that. It was all pretty much figured out already. Yeah. The only new information is that they knew about it. And if you give it an ounce of thought, of course they knew about it. Of course mm -hmm. they would know that these people are addicted to the stuff. Slimy. In the cargo bay, the Onarans are stoked to be getting the drug for all their people. And to John, thanks Picard for giving them the fixed coils for their freighters. The one that blew up that freighter was the last one they had that was in operation. They Ooh. had a bunch of broken ones that weren't working. But Picard says, no, you can't have the coils. The Breckians say, hey, you can't do that. You're interfering with our cultures and the way we interact with each other. And Picard says, well, actually, I'm not interfering because if I gave you the coils, that's interfering. So you're on your own. <laughs> He's found a loophole. They won't be able to have any working ships and won't be able to get any more of the drug to the planet. Hmm. That's because they won't have any money to buy the drug because they're using the freighters to make money. Well, I think what has happened in this particular system, I think they're sub-warp, so they can't leave the system. And it seems like, from what they've said, the only working ship that they had just exploded. Both of their peoples only had one working ship. They don't do delivery, I guess. Mm, I guess drug not. cartel. You would think that that would be drug dealing 101 to have the delivery, <laughs> delivery system. <laughs> system set up but i guess they felt so confident in their position that they mm. put that responsibility on the ornarans as well yeah and so they just realized uh oh maybe we should have taken a bit more responsibility and dealt with it hmm. Everyone, why were they out in the middle of wherever with those guys though what they were all in the freighter together weren't they both yeah races why weren't they just on the planet that sells the drugs that's a good question I would think that they would have dropped off the payment on the planet and then they would have taken the drugs back with them. But yeah. That would not make any of this possible. Right. This whole episode. So mm. that's that's a writing boo-boo. Yeah. Everyone's pretty pissed at Picard, both the Onarans and the Breckians, and they think he's being unreasonably cruel. But mm. he's like, well, that's what you think. And they beam down to the planet with the drug. Picard and Beverly have one last talk on the turbo lift. When the Felicium runs out... The people of Anara will suffer horrible withdrawal pains. No doubt, but they will pass. That seems so cruel. We could have made their burden easier. Could we have? Perhaps in the short term. To what end? Hold. Beverly, the Prime Directive is not just a set of rules. It is a philosophy, and a very correct one. History has proved again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. It's hard to be philosophical when faced with suffering Believe me, Beverly, there was only one decision. I just hope it was the right one. And we may never know. Mm. This actually marks Denise Crosby's last appearance as a full cast member. Aww. This was the last episode she shot because yeah. the, she, the last episode she's in is the next episode. Oh, man. In the scene where Crusher and Picard are leaving the cargo bay at the end of the episode, Crosby can be seen waving goodbye in the extreme background. Aww. So very sweet. Well, we'll say bye next week, I guess. We'll say bye next week. But let's get into concepts. Mm. 
So I got a bone to pick here. Go on. This is a big episode about the Prime Directive, obviously. But wasn't the mere act of saving those people a violation of the Prime Directive? Hmm. Uh, let's play this out. Go on. Shall we? Okay. The freighter would have blown up with a drug. Yeah. If they did not intervene. Yeah. So if it would have blown up with a drug on it, then those people on the planet wouldn't have gotten the drugs. They would have gone through withdrawal and eventually probably realized that they weren't going to die from it and that they never, ever needed it. Yes. Unless they would then have sent another shipment. But as far as we, they've said, there is no other ship. There's no other shipment. No other working ship. At There's all, no other working ship. Yeah. 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 Go on. And th that would cause them to lose their dependence on the drug. Now, of course, at the time of saving them, Picard doesn't necessarily know that. However, as the episode progresses, he does realize that, that that's what's going on. Mm. So if I was Picard at that point, by him giving them the drugs, he is interfering because they never would have had those drugs. Yeah. Basically, fate would have played out that eventually the system wouldn't work and then they would have to change. Yeah. But now Picard, by giving them the drug, is actually extending this dependency. Mm. He should have never interfered if that's what the Prime Directive is all about. But he would have been well within his rights to withhold that drug because that drug would have blown up on the ship. He doesn't have to necessarily tell him it's narcotic. He could just say, nope, you can't have the drug. It's ours now. And then just beam them off the ship back mm. to the planet. Mm -hmm. Right. And that would have been more similar to what had would have naturally played out. Yeah. Like, let's say saving an individual's life is not violating the prime directive. It's only interfering with the culture. By him saving them, interfered with that culture because the society had degraded to the point that they only had one working ship that was barely working. And yep. it makes you look at the whole prime directive thing very critically. If things had played out naturally, the Breckians would have lost their whole industry yeah. anyway. And whatever consequences resulted from them having now no yeah. resources mm -hmm. would have played out. What guidelines govern who you rescue? It's all up in the air. We've done a whole bonus episode on the Prime Directive, and it's, there's nothing specific about it. It's to suit the writing. Mm. But I wonder about this whole idea where we just accept, well, when you interfere with other cultures, it has dire consequences. That's what Picard says in the last bit. It's like, well, I'd like to hear some examples of that. Yeah. If you give people medicine, does that affect their culture in an adverse way? Weapons, I would think, definitely. We've we've seen that on other episodes, how giving people weapons messes everything up and causes more problems. Well, if he'd gone with Bev's idea, if we're not taking into account what you've said, that they would have lost the drugs and come through withdrawal anyway. Yeah. From Picard's point of view, giving them the equivalent of methadone to yeah. get off the drug would have meant that the Breckians could no longer survive. So that would be the consequence of them trying to do good for one side yeah. would destroy another culture, possibly. Well, it's going to happen eventually. Mm. This is going to play out for the Breckians because they've basically put all their eggs in one basket. Yeah, if you're going to be drug dealers, diversify. You've got to also be yeah. running a farmer's market or something, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's and the moral. That is the moral. <laughs> that's what you should, that's the takeaway from this episode. <laughs> yep. If you're going to deal drugs, diversify. Yeah. So we dealt with drug addiction, obviously. They mm -hmm. were unfazed by the death of the two crew members as they beamed in, just fixated on getting a, a fix. But to be fair to them, they were also fixated throughout on getting the medicine to their people, yeah. not just on oh, their yeah. own needs. Although they did kind of have to be reminded by the captain calling in again and saying, please get help for us, we're yeah. all dying here. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they would have just forgotten about it and gone into their own pleasure state. Well, they Otherwise. didn't seem to be, like, high 
through the rest of the episode. Like yeah, they got they high just, for a few minutes okay. and then they were just normal after that yeah. point. I mean, they were advocating for their people throughout the whole episode. I mean, to the point that they kidnapped Riker. Yeah. Used him as a hostage. Is that why they were all so terrible at maintaining their ship and knowing how their ship worked? Because they were spaced out. I think. But they weren't really spaced out. I think they Unless they were in withdrawal. I think the implication is that that their society was falling apart because they were becoming too dependent on it and they were mm. needing more of the drugs and their mental state was fluctuating enough that it just wasn't working for them. Yeah, yeah. Good way to keep somebody dependent and not thinking of a way out. Mm-hmm. The only way that the Breckian society can survive is depending on them being drug dealers. That adds some complexity to it. It's yeah. not just bad guys and good guys help one and let the other fail because yeah. there will be members of the Breckian society who possibly are unaware or see it as a positive thing or don't realize that they're oh, doing I, harm. Sure, I would say that probably most of the Breckians don't realize that the drug is a narcotic and not yeah. medicine. Mm. I think there's probably a few people in control that know what's up and... Yeah. And those are the ones that are controlled that civilization. Yeah. Memory Alpha says the first time that we see a system interlock used with alien transporter system showing that it's possible to interlock two different types of transporter beams. <laughs> trying to sound excited about it. Yeah. The only similar occurrence is when the Enterprise intercepted alien transporter beam and redirected it to their transporter pad in assignment Earth. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. Also, we had the hand power stun thing. Yeah. Which, nice little bit of an effect with sure. it, but it didn't add anything to the plot did it it was just so that they had built-in weapons so they can take a hostage yeah and yeah mentions it's a weapon we can't confiscate yeah exactly yeah there's some pretty good concepts in this and it provoked a lot of discussion mm. with us it was a little weak on the execution of it yeah. but i'm gonna give it a pretty high i'm gonna give it an eight okay on concepts i'll go for a seven entertainment the first half was just people saying, we need our medicine. It's not yours, it's ours. We've paid for it, but your payment exploded. Please, can we have some? No, we have a business to run. Times three. Mm -hmm. Director Wynne Phelps remembers, there were many continuity problems. Down on the set, we began to notice discrepancies. Some sequences just didn't really work. The actors would say, my motivation is totally wrong here, because a previous scene would be contradictory. They were trying to act scenes that they'd never read before or were substantially different from what they'd read. That didn't happen in every scene, but it did happen. The mm. official Star Trek The Next Generation magazine. Do you think that was obvious? Mm. Well, I mean, the writing isn't great. It's quite this. clunky. It's pretty repetitive. clunky, yeah. yeah. We had the nose ridge makeup. Mm -hmm. Were they the same species then? Because they both they, had They that. were similar. I mean, they're from the same system. So maybe yeah. in their history, they were from one planet and they yeah. colonized another planet. Very different dress senses. Yeah. The Breckians look more rich, of course. Yeah. yeah. It was the Picard and Bev show. Yah and Wes had their just say no scene, but Troy has just one line where <laughs> she says, tensions are getting high in here or something totally <laughs> obvious. All Data does is annoy Picard by trying to give the exact amount of lentils. Worf and Geordi, who does have the bridge, are just in the background, really. Yeah. And all Riker really does is the freeze pose. <laughs> Altogether, I'm just going to give it five out of ten. Yeah, probably a five. Five's pretty middle of the road. I was really intrigued by the concept, and the concept was so interesting to me. That in entertainment. <laughs> it bleeds into entertainment. I think if this concept wasn't so good, it would have been like a two or a three, because Ooh. there's so much fat in it and so much stuff that doesn't make sense that why they have it in there but i'm gonna give it a four sexiness we had the unflattering saturday night fever yeah. look that's a hard one to pull off in the 80s mm. or any era two out of five <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was kind of anti-sexy so i'll give yeah. it uh, two out of five stupid experts 
Prime Directive, Bev trying to sway Picard with her expert solution because she had worked things out really quickly mm -hmm. and she was able to synthesize a replacement to get them off the drug. Yeah. And she smelled their BS straight away. Yeah. Great job, Bev. But imagine if you had someone on the ship who could sense deception or addiction. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just have her saying one line and then disappearing. Oh. Uh, we had the don't do drugs, but drugs are fun message, which mm -hmm. I guess is clever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, true. So stupid experts, fairly low, although we're not really clear on whether what they did with the Prime Directive was yeah, that's, right. That's what I get in my craw is the Prime Directive stuff in history of the world. Usually people coming in to helping isn't the problem. It's the people coming in to take advantage of the people. That's the problem. Yeah. Is it like a charity bringing in supplies to a remote region and bringing lots of Western clothes and then their local fabric supply yeah. goes uh, out of business? Well, people say things too, like, well, if you give them medicine, then, you know, how, how are you helping them? Because they're going to be dependent on the medicine mm. now. That's not the, what the Federation is doing. Yeah. Which is different. The Federation will be coming in and, and helping them and then letting them be. Yeah, they're not supposed to make decisions when there's a dispute presumably right but is giving information like why is telling them that you're actually just addicted to this drug and it's not helping you mm -hmm. that's just a fact yeah that they can share with them and then they could try and check it out and see for themselves and also if you think about it how have they not in 200 years how would they not figure that out mm. you know somebody gets stuck in some place you know like they're out hiking in the woods and then they get lost and then they're out there for two weeks and then they survive and they come back and go oh yeah i don't i guess i don't need that medicine maybe you don't do much hiking when you're strung out on <laughs> I, I guess i guess or any number of things that could have happened <laughs> yeah. that you would figure it out in 200 years so if you think about it maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense but and they must have an egalitarian society where everyone is provided with the drug no matter their resources no yeah. No, I've just been a guy who's accepted the Prime Directive. And now, after uh, watching Star Trek, I'm starting to question whether or not it's actually a good idea. I don't know what to believe, do you? I don't know what to believe. Stupid experts, uh, two. Two. Mm. Two. My guess is, I thought there might be a conspiracy theory. No, there was no conspiracy theory on their planet that this wasn't actually a drug or anything. But there was a real conspiracy. There was a conspiracy and it didn't really kill them. They didn't really need the drug. So that was yes-ish. And I was totally wrong about the shoulder pad race and the blue race. But well, I got something. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, you got pretty much the whole episode with a few details off. So here's our teaser for next week. I'm heading out. Thank you so much for listening, everybody out there. And welcome to two new patrons, Lieutenant Commander William Smith. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to seeing you in the patron hang next month. Yeah. And Lieutenant Carol Giblin. Welcome. Thank you and welcome. This month, the financial toll of the current situation has started to maybe be represented in losing quite a few of our patrons. And just wanted to say, I hope you're still listening. You don't have to pay to listen to it. We're glad that you're involved and we look forward to hearing from you on the website comments. We'll be yeah. reading those too. We're lucky to have had your spot until now. Thank you and please keep listening. Yes. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watch Star Trek.
Watches Star Trek.